As promised, I am thrilled to announce that our tickets for Australian True Crime Live are now available. Join me in Sydney, Brisbane and or Melbourne this July. You can come to all three if you want. These tickets are expected to go very quickly, so be sure to secure yours by visiting the link in our podcast bio or you can head over to the Australian True Crime Facebook page. There'll be a nice link there for you. Update for Brisbane Australian True Crime fans. Brisbane is almost fully sold out for our live show. If you've been a listener for any length of time, you'll know how passionate I am about true crime stories from Australia. I'm looking very forward to an incredible evening together with you, sharing these captivating tales. We will have great guests as well, so, you know, we love a Q&A. If you've ever come along to an Australian true crime live gig, you'll know we love a Q&A with our guests. Don't miss out. Book your tickets today, and I'll see you in July for a memorable night out. I'm Sandra and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now, and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. MintMobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45, equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. This is a true crime podcast, as the title suggests. So please consider this your warning, that it's not suitable for children and it probably will contain content that may be triggering to some people. Also, it's an Australian true crime podcast, so Australian Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander listeners should be aware it may contain the voices of deceased people. The producers of this podcast recognise the traditional owners of the land on which it's recorded. They pay respect to the Aboriginal elders past, present and those emerging. 
Our guest today is a published poet. If you Google Scott Kieran, though, you'll find him described variously as a bikey enforcer, an arsonist, a kidnapper, and an attempted murderer. Scott is well aware that his rap sheet is nothing short of terrifying. He's hurt and traumatised a lot of people. In 2016, an attempt to intimidate went wrong and he ended up paying a very high price himself. Scott Kieran joins us on Australian True Crime today to talk about his life and crimes. We begin with his early life, which in many ways does not conform to the template we've come to expect from Australia's most violent men. From a young age, I had seen, you know, violence as a tool. It's pretty easy to get your way when somebody's scared. It's a pretty good motivating factor for people. Where did you learn that, do you think? Did you learn that in your own home, in from your watching your parents interact or No, I didn't. I had a reasonably good childhood. Uh, my parents they split up when I was eleven, I think the first time they got back together once or twice, but violence in the household wasn't an issue. But I think for me it was more in my teen years. I grew up in Western Sydney. Um, you know, violence was common in the area and I seen guys look we didn't have a lot of money in the, like most people grow, grow up in around the Penrith area aren't well off. Um, and then the guys that you look, you see that, are, you know, like in your view, successful are the guys that join bike clubs and sell drugs. And a part of the, that success that they enjoy is having to intimidate, having to be violent. Like if someone doesn't pay their drug debt, then you've got to go fuck and make an example of them and get your money. So the next guy pays, if that makes sense. So, but not just that, but also just, you know, once you hit the pubs and club scenes, I mean, at the time when I was, 17, 18, started going out. I used to go to Penrith Panthers a lot. There's a few pubs around Penrith that were all on the state's most violent pub list. So you wanted to be able to defend yourself. Another element of that is that, you know, like these guys have came from the same place that I came from, you know, without a lot of money. Um, and then all of a sudden they're driving nice cars. They're wearing gold, you know, jewellery. They've got lots of cash in their wallets. And people show them respect. Like you walk into a nightclub or a pub and everybody wants to shake their hand and buy them a drink. And then growing up, you know, in my teen years, not having, you know, that respect, not having money, like all that type of stuff. You see, oh, these guys have what I want. You know, I want to live that life. They've got nice women hanging around them that are showing them interest. I want women to show me interest. This is, a, I think, a common misconception for guys that get into that life. People sort of, you get a bit of respect, but it's not respect. People might show you respect out of fear, but... Behind your back, they're going, what a fucking loser. So um, it is like the picture of success that I grew, sort of grew up and aimed towards. So with that violence, I became an attractive prospect to the bike club because now I have something that's valuable to them. You know, like I was a big, angry, violent guy, so I'm of use to them. And now they've got something um, that I want and I've got something they want. So that's sort of the path towards the hanging around the bike clubs and the crime and et cetera. Tell us about when you first were gravitated to the Rebels Motorcycle Club, when you joined up. How did it feel? I just hung around and just went to their parties a lot. I never became a full member. I was more associated with them. Uh, there was a period of time where I nommed up, which basically means you're, you're, like, you're a prospect to be a member type of thing. So I spent some time with that. But around that, but that was a few years on. Well, I probably spent about five years just hanging around and going to the parties and stuff like that. But then when I sort of seen it from... I guess an inside perspective, I didn't really like what I was saying. So I sort of hung around. Oh, I spent about maybe eight or nine months as a as a norm, and then I just thought, this is not for me, and I don't, I don't want to do this anymore. Why? What was it that you didn't like? They sort of 
sell you on this is a, a brotherhood. Like we are all together. We're a group of mates. We all look out for each other. If you need anything, we'll help you out. You know, like this, we have lots of fun, we party. It's like a family type of thing. You know, we've got each other's back. And from from the outside looking in, that's attractive to a lot of guys just in and of itself. And then, you know, obviously there's the money and all the other stuff that go with it and the women. But so once I was on the other side of it, it seemed to me that the whole, the, the brotherhood side of things, it's there when things are going well and it's party time, but then when, you know, things aren't going so well, there was no issues in with me going, but I still, just, as, just because the, the club aspect of things wasn't for me, it didn't mean that my criminal offending got stopped. I was still choosing to live my life outside of the law. Um, yeah, I didn't want to do it with a bike club. Like the three times that I've been to prison, I've been charged with offences that could get me around the 10-year mark three times. One of the things that I spent the time, most recent time in prison doing was really looking back and taking ownership for all of the stuff that I've done, and also was having a, I want to have a, like a genuine understanding of the flow on effect. You know, this is what happens. This is what you cause to people. But and even if your offending is linked to something to do with your own past trauma and all this type of stuff, you are still then you're just taking the same pain that you experience and you're putting it onto multiple other people. You're amplifying it by a factor of ten, a hundred. I think the best thing that you can do is, you know correct your own cause and be better from that point on learn from your experiences and also one of the things i try to do and one of the main things my motivating factors for the book was to be of benefit to other people i guess there's a redemption aspect in it that i feel like there you go to jail you serve your debt to society but then i feel like there's still a responsibility on my part that i'm in a good position where i can you know like say for instance i could go into the kids jails and talk to them and you know like say look this is the course of action this is a path that i took this is why you shouldn't go down that path. Yeah, because we all know that who who are they going to listen to, you know? They're not going to listen to me. They're not going to listen to – that's a really valuable thing. There are very few people on earth that I could think kids in juvenile detention might be interested in listening to, might go back into their room and think about. And I think you could be one of those people. And But you are not without loss and you are not without trauma. Can we talk about Harley McKenna? Yeah, yep, definitely. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. 
I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. So I used to spend a lot of time on the Gold Coast. I used to travel up there regularly, go partying and see friends. And he'd become my closest mate. We were really close friends. Back then I was a party animal and so was he. So well, we met through... Um, you know, mutual friends and partying and all that sort of stuff. And anyway, so he, we used to go out a lot and um, party and carry on. And he would come down to Sydney. So the long story short of him is that we got kicked out of the pub. Uh, O'Donoghue's Irish pub in Emu Plains. That's right, yeah. So uh, we were kicked out and we weren't happy about it. So we just went back to my place and kept on partying and drinking and taking drugs and stuff. And... Um, it was just decided that, well, we're not going to cop that. So when it closes, we'll go burn it down. Fuck them. They want to kick us out. We'll fucking burn your pub down. Wow. Yeah. And, you know, we both were pretty, I guess, extreme people with, you know, we take things from zero to 100 like that. We we're both like that. But anyways, when um, he set fire to the pub, he, all, he had fuel on himself and he set fire to himself as well. And I tried to help. I tried to save him. I tried to drag him off and put him out. But he ended up passing away as a result of that. Harley was 29. He had a daughter. Yeah. So like when I was touching on earlier about, you know, there's a flow on effect, there's a ripple effect to these type of things. Obviously, the things that jump to mind there is he's got a daughter that was six months old when he died. Oh, my God. He's got a, obviously, he leaves behind, you know, a mother, his siblings, friends, family. Like, that type of thing impacts a lot of people. And how can you sort of put yourself in the shoes of, say, his mother, for instance, who, by... I don't know why, but um, but I'm very grateful that I still have a very close relationship with his mum, his partner, you know, at the time, and the, the which is the daughter's mother. It's incredibly gracious of them, isn't it? Yeah. It's so gracious because I think I could be just so overwhelmed with anger that you two just did something so stupid, uh-huh. pointless, and he died that I, I could maybe blame you for the rest of my life. One of the things that I really struggled with out of that whole scenario, other than the you know, traumatic death of my friends, and obviously it's a traumatising situation. I don't think there's a worse way you can die. You know, like, and there's a, the image in your mind that's never going away. I tried my best to save him, the last words that he said to me, et cetera, all that type of stuff. But then I think what, like, that's obviously trauma, you know, you have to work through and get over. But I thought I really fucking struggled to understand why his mum and these people were supporting me. Like, I re- that probably fucked with my head more than anything. Were you convicted? No, no, the charges against me were dropped. So, but by a legal technicality. So, regardless of what, when I was charged with his death, obviously that was hard to take. But you think, well, I did do, I was complicit in going along with something that did cause somebody's death, even if they were complicit and willing to go along with it anyway. Like, you can't have people behaving in ways because people die and there'd be no fucking legal ramifications. So, I, and I was expecting, I knew I was going to get charged. I've got a reasonably good understanding of the law, so I knew it was coming. But when they dropped it against me, I didn't feel any better about it. It's like, oh, I'm off the book. Like, oh, well, I still have myself responsible now. Like, I know that with my friendship with him too, like I was in a position 
um, where I would have some influence over the guy to say, hey, we're not doing this. This is fucking stupid. Pull your head in. And he would have. So I didn't really care what the law has to say about it anyway. Like, I've, I care more about what his mum has to say about it, what his daughter will have to say about it, how I feel about it, and all that sort of stuff. I mean, there were always going to be consequences for the owners of the pub. Let's not forget them. Yeah. So not only has their pub been, you know, attacked by arsonists because you were obviously being assholes at the pub, that's why they kicked you out. Yeah. But now a man has died as part of it. Again, that's so traumatic for them. How did it change your life that night? Um, initially for the worst. That was my second time in jail. So, and I just went on doing the same shit. Like when I went to jail that time, I didn't want to deal with it. So, like, there's an abundance and availability of drugs in jail. So, I, was, I started using Xanax in jail every day, and I just did not want to deal with it at all. So, I just buried myself under a drug habit. I was, you know, suffering the trauma of the event. I had two court cases going on at the time because I was on bail at the time of that offence for a previous offence. So, I had my legal problems were stacked to the ceiling. I was looking at between the two cases, I reckon up to maybe 15 years jail. So I thought, well, that's obviously a long time. Um, so I didn't want to think about that. I didn't want to think or deal with the fact that my mate died, how he died. You know, I had post-traumatic stress and that was very fresh and new. And so my life was in the fucking toilet, basically. And I just thought, oh, I'm not dealing with that. I don't want to know about it. So I just going to take drugs and not deal with it. So that's what I've done for nearly a year. Um, but when I got, I had another six months jail to go from that point. Also, uh, although the manslaughter case against me was dropped, the arson wasn't. So I was charged with arson in company. So, um, so I had some more jail time to do. So I got out from that. And then I think the hardest thing that get now at that time was the real world ramifications of his death and what happened. You know, like when you're in jail, it might not seem so, but you were very much insulated from the outside world. It's not just through contact but you don't have to deal with any of the shit that they outside. you don't pay rent you don't have bills you know like if in that case um you know like i wasn't out there watching and dealing with the grief of the people that he left behind you know they're trying to adjust to life without you know their partner their father their son i was essentially living in a bubble and i didn't have to deal with any of it so when i got out and well, it was in my face all of a sudden and it wasn't long before i was you know drinking and back on the xanax again and which led to was a you know, factor in the next case. So then I found myself back in jail only eight weeks after being released. So like, obviously that's fucking... Wow. When I came back to prison that time, which is the most recent time, I thought, I am not living my life like this. I'm not in and out. I'm not going to take drugs. I'm not going to... I do not want to contribute to the fucking statistics anymore. And I want to be a father to my son, which you cannot be from prison. So I thought, I'm not doing it. I, was, I thought that I'm probably going to be in jail for a very long time. And whether that's two years or 10 years, I'm going to get out a better man. But the only way for me to do that is to solve the problems that are causing me to keep coming to prison. So I have to work it out. First of all, I've reached out to the system to see what the system can do for me. And once I've figured out that the system is going to do fuck all for me, I have to sort it out for myself. So I thought, well, I can read. The jails have libraries. So I thought any book that I could get, on any type of psychology. I want to understand my psychology. I want to understand why I make the choices that I make. I want to understand why I am the way that I am, etc. So I just went to the library and got book after book after book. But I also started talking to people. I thought, well, I want to hear other people's stories and what they do. Like You will find all sorts of people in jail from different socioeconomic backgrounds, uh, different ages, races, religion, every type of person for every type of offence. There's people in there for 
low-level shoplifting things to people into murder and drug importation and everything in between. So I thought, I'll talk to people. So I'll just strike up conversations with people about their stories and I'll try and nail down on what makes people do the things that they do because then maybe I can figure out why I do the things that I do. And then I just thought also I just have to – I started to develop my own philosophies around things like, you know, what the choices that you make and why we make the choices that we make. So basically it was just me doing my best to figure shit out for myself. It took a long time. I was in jail for four years, uh, three months that last time, and I think it took pretty much every day of that four years, three months, to get to a point where I can say, I think that I've done enough work on myself so that I have a reasonable understanding of what I was doing wrong and what not to do in the future, and then moving forward, how to keep that up. Because it's always work. You speak to somebody who's a drug addict, though, they're always working at it. Thank you to our guest today, Scott Kieran. His book is called Prison Poetry, and there's a link in the show notes to this episode to help you buy your copy. If you need support after listening to this podcast, you can call Lifeline on 13 11 14 or contact 1800 RESPECT on 1800 737 732 or 1800respect.org.au. Indigenous Australians can contact 13 Yarn on 139276 or 13yarn.org.au. Thank you for downloading this episode of Australian True Crime. We'll be back next week. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. As promised, I am thrilled to announce that our tickets for Australian True Crime Live are now available. Join me in Sydney, Brisbane and or Melbourne this July. You can come to all three if you want. These tickets are expected to go very quickly, so be sure to secure yours by visiting the link in our podcast bio or you can head over to the Australian True Crime Facebook page. There'll be a nice link there for you. Update for Brisbane Australian True Crime fans. Brisbane is almost fully sold out for our live show. If you've been a listener for any length of time, you'll know how passionate I am about true crime stories from Australia. I'm looking very forward to an incredible evening together with you, sharing these captivating tales. We will have great guests as well, so, you know, we love a Q&A. If you've ever come along to an Australian true crime live gig, you'll know we love a Q&A with our guests. Don't miss out. Book your tickets today, and I'll see you in July for a memorable night out.